Welcome to Policy Chats, the official podcast of the School of Public Policy at the University of California, Riverside. I'm your host, Kevin Karami. Join me and my classmates as we learn about potential policy solutions for today's biggest societal challenges. Joining us today is former District Attorney of San Bernardino County, Michael Ramos. I chatted with him about crime prevention. Michael Ramos was elected as San Bernardino County's District Attorney in 2003 and served in the position until 2019. He's the president of the California District Attorneys Association Foundation Board of Directors and a board member of the California Crime Victims Alliance. He is also one of the external relations directors for the Robert Presley Center of Crime and Justice Studies. Mr. Ramos, it is an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you for having me. So I know our audience is excited to get to know about you and the topic we're going to discuss. So I'm going to jump straight into the first question, very brief and broad to kind of lay a foundation for the overall interview. So can you briefly describe what crime prevention is and why it's significant to us and why we should be talking? Sure. Uh, crime pre- prevention is extremely important in, in the field of uh, criminal law and criminal justice. You know, you think about it, we'll put it in basic terms, you know, the front end versus the back end. I mean, if we, I learned through my years as district attorney and as a trial prosecutor and before that a probation officer, you know, if we could really uh, stop crime before it happens, um, it's going to reduce the crime rate. It's going to reduce the amount of victims of crimes we have uh, and that we uh, should be doing a better effort in the front end, uh, which I call. Um, And so, as I indicated, it became more and more important as the years went by, as I did this job, um, through the history of um, crime and, and what was occurring and specifically in the state of California and then also uh, also at a national level as a board member of the National District Attorneys Association and president of their association um, in 2016-2017, we started to see um, the trend, uh, which is a good trend for district attorneys across the country to really take a bigger role of prevention and intervention. As I indicated before, if you really want to ha- get a handle on crime, you need to stop it, you know, in the first place. And that's, you know, that's a pretty basic explanation. We can go into details about the different programs and why it's important. Um, but, but basically that's, um, that's the, ex- you know, what we think about when we're, when we're thinking about the future of this country, really. And I guess this would be a great follow-up. Based on what you said, would you say that criminality is predictable from childhood? Um, And if so, what would you say are the biggest factors that contribute to um, its predictability? Well, that's the million dollar question and everybody's trying to wrap their head around it. Um, So I'm also involved with the board member on an organization called Coalition of Strong America that oversees part of that is fight crime and best in kids. 
uh, and I was a, a board member of Fight Crime Investing Kids for, for years. And what you really need to look at is what works and what doesn't work. We have research-based um, programs that we have really opened up the door to kids that are at risk. And that goes to your question. Now, who is that? What, 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 what causes that? And it's a big socioeconomic, you know, that's a term that's used over and over, but me being a sociology major prior to law school from UCR, your school, um, there's so many factors, but the basic factors are economy, at risk um, communities, uh, um, um, single parent households. We have statistics where you see a, a, a rise in criminality in that area. And then looking even further, um, if you look at state prison populations, 80 to 85% of inmates in state prison um, lack a high school graduation, high school degree. Um, a lot of the cases I tried, especially the most serious cases, murders, the defense was their childhood. Uh, they grew up in a abusive uh, home. Uh, they grew up with a single parent who had to work. Uh, they, uh, after school, they were out starting their juvenile delinquency behavior without any programs for them. Um, and it was a, like I said, there are so many factors that go into place on really what, what happens to an individual to develop that criminal lifestyle. Some of it is, uh, and it's sad to say that it's historical, it's uh, historical in the family, especially in some of the gang cases that we would do. You had a, a grandfather, a father uh, involved in gangs, and it would come you know, through a, a long line of tradition. Um, luckily, we, we have done a great job of breaking that up as well. Um, so there are many factors, but they're uh, one of the biggest factors is education. We need to make sure that we keep our kids in school. Um, and I've learned that in my job as a district attorney. We learn that under Fight Crime Invested Kids. Uh, and we are seeing those numbers with some of the programs, the preschool programs um, that uh, we're really pushing. And then the after school programs uh, for kids when they get out of school. That. And I think it's really important to hone in um, on the point you made on education. Um, it seems like when this topic is brought up, education tends to be one of the biggest um, factors when it comes to being able to understand whether or not certain kids from certain families and based on their socioeconomic status, what their futures will be. And like you said, I think that the education point is uh, massive, but I guess as a follow-up, um, what specifically on education, what can we be doing? What should we be doing to better that point specifically? So in other words, what aspects of education as a country, as a state, um, even at the local level, local and county levels, can we be doing better to improve um, kids in terms of them staying in school and actually um, uh, being able to at, at the very least graduate with a high school diploma? Um, 
What can we be doing better in that regard? I think it starts at, at, at a very early age. Uh, all the information and research we've done through that organization, Fight Crime Investing Kids, is a universal preschool for everyone. You know, I was blessed. Uh, my kids, we had the ability to put them in preschool. Uh, my grandchildren go to preschool, but not every family has that. And so when they get to that point, when they start their education, they're already behind not only academically, but in the social aspects of what you're learning when you get into, uh, in, into the school system, into the academic system. And um, it, it is shown that those that have attended preschool do so much better, especially in the early years, in the elementary school years. And then it allows them to take that step uh, into the, their years when they get into their middle school years, their high school years, you see a, a, a better graduation rate. And that is really taken on. And I have to give credit to uh, the 5,000 members, police chiefs, sheriffs, and prosecutors of Fight Crime Invested Kids. We, uh, that was our, our priority. We did it in California. It now looks like it's gonna be part of uh, President Biden's administration, part of, part of his plan. Um, to really make sure that all of our children are taken care of getting into school, even before you start, where basically it was kindergarten. Like when I went to school, there was, I didn't go to preschool. I'm not even sure we had preschool. Um, and so that is extremely important. Then once they get in school, we needed programs to keep them there. Um, when I was district attorney, we had a program it was called Let's and Truancy, Let. And we assigned senior prosecutors to be partners with the various school districts in San Bernardino County, one of the biggest counties in America. We had numerous school districts. And we worked with the school administrators and working with the parents of those kids that were truant to make sure they went to school, to keep them in school. We developed some legislation. I recall developing some legislation back then when Kamala Harris, our vice president, was then the district attorney of San Francisco. And we worked together on making sure that we had some resources to make sure that the kids were able to graduate from high school. And people may think, well, is that a big deal? Well, again, research. Um, we found out that a 10% increase of graduation rates in the state of California, just 10%, that would mean 500 less murders in the state, 2,200 less aggravated assaults. That was research that was done. And so that told us we have to really put our efforts into preschool. And then once they're in school, we need to help them stay in school and be successful. So a lot of the local district attorneys in our state and across the nation, they've come up with some fabulous programs. They're still coming up with programs, um, but that's one that I can talk to about. I, I just discussed it, the, the Let's End Truancy program. And there are some other programs as well we can, we can discuss too when, when you're ready. Social injustice, health disparities climate change. 
Are you interested in solving pressing challenges like these currently facing our region and the world? Then consider joining the next cohort of future policy leaders like me by applying for the UCR Master of Public Policy program. Learn more at mpp.ucr.edu. You can also find the link in our show notes. Yeah, and actually that is a perfect transition into my next question, um, which is what are some of the most effective programs and maybe other policies um, that exist in preventing um, crime from an early age? Yeah, I, I, I'm telling you that uh, it is kind of an exciting time because we have gone from, you know, and I should say this historically, what, what has happened, you get trends. And in the 90s, the early 90s, our crime rate and serious crime rate was going up. And people were trying to figure out what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Uh, three strikes came in California. Um, our prison population was going through the roof. And as you know, and most people know, we had to reduce that population. Uh, and I was had the opportunity of working with both Governor Schwarzenegger and Governor Brown at the time on how we're going to do that appropriately. Uh, and I'll share with you some of the things that we're doing through the Robert Presley Institute uh, later on in this conversation. But um, we then saw, wait a minute, <laughs> it's, it's not really stopping what the crime rate and what we need to do um, on the, uh, I'll call it, they call them lesser felonies, you know, people getting involved with drugs, people that have to steal and, and committing thefts because of drugs. You're always going to have to have a place for a prison for people that commit violent crimes, murder, kidnapping, et cetera. That, that, that has to be done to, to have a, uh, a society that's protected. <clears throat> but we could do a better job with the other. So one of the things was, I've already talked about it, preschool. The other thing that came about, and it was uh, Attorney General uh, Janet Reno, I think the first woman Attorney General for the, the United States of America, she talked about an after-school program um, from the hours of three to six. When kids get out of school, that's when things happen. When there's nothing there, there's no structure for them. And she was absolutely right. And I know at the time, Governor Schwarzenegger, he truly believed that even before he became governor uh, and being on his transition team, we talked about that and we worked on that and he committed millions of dollars to after school programs one of the great programs after school, and there's a lot of programs that are the Boys and Girls Club of America. How do I know that? I was a member uh, when I was in middle school. And back then it was just called the Boys Club, but thank goodness for that because it got me involved in sports and other activities where a lot of my schoolmates were getting into gangs, um, were getting, starting at an early age to get into drugs. But that program allowed me to go somewhere after school. So that's another place where we really need to prioritize our resources, our resources both uh, in the private industry, private world, our communities, and our government. So you have the preschool, and then you have what do we do with the kids when, when they get out of school? And then there are other, other issues. Uh, there's issues to help the parents. Uh, voluntary home um, uh, visitations with experts from behavioral health, from academics, 
you know, believe it or not, there are some parents that really need help on how to keep their kids uh, in school, how to keep their kids the basics. How do we get the homework done? How do we make sure that things are being done appropriately? Um, and uh, that's a, a big issue as well. Uh, and we saw that really with the, with the current pandemic too, with, with parents that uh, were staying home finally with their children. Um, we believe one of the positive sides was uh, they had their children and they had a place to where they could really make sure that things were occurring um, uh, regarding their education, uh, regarding being safe. Uh, and um, I think that when you take a look at that, hopefully we've learned from that and that it's going to be really important because look, schools are safe. Schools are a great place. Um, but the majority of the time, you know, the nights and they're, they're, our children, the children are going to be at home. So we have to make sure that that's a safe place as well and to assist uh, as much as we can uh, with raising raising our children. And I say our children, I mean, that's look, that's the future of our country, our kids. So there are many, like I said, there are many programs out there. There are specific programs, but generally, like I said, preschool, after school, absolutely key. key. And then assisting parents. Thank you for that. I think you did a great job of outlining the different programs and policies that exist. Um, there's something you said, though, that I think was really interesting, and it's the idea of what do we do once these kids are, aren't in school, that three to six time frame where they may also not be around their parents. Um, and I think this is where the socioeconomic point plays a role. You know, there are many families, um, maybe single parents, um, that, you know, need to work more than one job and aren't as available to their children as they may want to be. What do we do in those situations when these kids don't really have a place to go? And, you know, I know you mentioned the after school programs, and I think that that can definitely, and like you mentioned, um, had a huge effect, but there's still going to be a portion where there's no one around these kids. And so I know that's a very difficult area, but I still think that it's worth mentioning. What do we, what can we do about those scenarios when no one is really available to be there for them? I think that's when our communities need to need to step up. I mean, really, uh, uh, not just not a, a national level. Yes, let's support some organizations, big organizations that are out there. Uh, like I said, the Boys and Girls Club and some others, uh, the YMCA, all those organizations that have after school programs. But it really comes down to our local communities, uh, our local mayors, our local city councils. Um, and I know this. I'll give you an example. Um, when I was a graduate uh, from UCR and then I was at, in law school, I noted that the Boys and Girls Club was shut down in our community of Redlands because it just, they ran out of money, nothing, nobody was, it wasn't a priority. Um, and that concerned me um, because I thought, wait a minute, uh, we, it, it's our responsibility once we get an education, and I truly believe this, uh, to give back to the community that helped raise us. So it took us a few years, but we reopened that. And I'm proud to say that we, uh, in this community, they serve hundreds of children after school from various ages. Uh, and 
that needs to be done. Um, we also get involved, you get involved the faith-based community, the various churches, uh, and you get involved um, various businesses that support that, support that group. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a absolute priority. You know, they talk about priorities in local government, but one priority should be our after-school programs. Education is there and the state's gonna pay for that, okay? Um, and there's some public funds for after-school programs, but I truly believe that uh, communities need to get together to create these uh, places, these places that are safe, places where you have mentors, where you have adults, uh, where you have people that give their time, um, retirees that, that would love to help uh, and really assist at, in this crucial time period, because there's no doubt about it. You talk to communities that are suffering with certain crime rates, especially with the juvenile crime rates, and it is that time period. Uh, and that's already been researched. We talked about it before. Um, but yeah, that, that's, uh, I think that's something that we all, we all of us can do a better job of. Thank you for that. And I know it's a really difficult um, subject area in terms of you know, uh, realizing that this is something that we can all contribute to, that um, not one person can solve it, but if everyone kind of gives their two cents that we can maybe um, help out. So we've been talking about existing policies and programs. Um, so I'd like to kind of um, shift a little bit to any ideas. Um, this can be, again, policies or programs um, that maybe you believe um, that aren't currently in place that you believe should be maybe considered. Um, these are maybe programs that were in place in the past. Maybe um, they, uh, for, what, for one reason or another, aren't currently, or maybe any other ideas you have um, based on your experiences um, in your field. Well, I think the good thing is, as I indicated a little earlier, um, with this, uh, it appears to me with the new administration, with our president, with our vice president, Kamala Harris, who was a board member of uh, Fight Crime Invested Kids, that the priorities are there. I think uh, on both sides of the aisle, everybody knows that um, you invest in our kids. I mean, if we're going to have a successful, strong nation. Um, so I think, it, it, and it costs money. So the funding is there. Uh, the funding, uh, we're hoping to continue to, to have that funding for the programs that we've discussed. But I also believe that one of the things that uh, was lost was in the private industry and, and those, those industries helping uh, with some of the costs uh, to really support programs. Um, and sometimes it was a struggle when during the recession, I remember we have a program uh, in the DA's office too, where it was a um, gang prevention program in elementary schools, believe it or not, second and fifth graders. It was put together by one of my gang prosecutors and it wasn't that expensive. We would buy them backpacks and certificates to complete the program. And it was a great deal. They had a graduation and our most at-risk schools. But, you know, it was hard sometimes going to, you know, some of the industries because that wasn't something paid for by the government to get the funding source for those. Um, but I think that's turning. I think people are realizing now that, look, our priorities have to be uh, 
to prevention and intervention because, you know, again, we do a very good job of holding uh, people responsible for committing crimes. We do. Um, and the, you, can, you can see that by our prisons uh, being impacted. Um, but that's not the answer. And so uh, there are other DA's offices across the country that have these wonderful programs, a lot of them based, as we talked about before, on education. It would be good, too, to see, because the education funds are always tied up, you know, um, mandate, mandated uh, under certain pieces of legislation, to perhaps see some legislation come through where some of those funds, for example, we have a surplus, surplus of funding in the state of California this year, it would be nice to see some of those funds being used to increase programs like Let's End Truancy programs, programs for kids after school, create their own um, uh, programs, uh, you know, brick and mortar, um, sports, uh, music, those things that you don't normally see in the academic time period, ac academic year. But if we're gonna have extra funds, wouldn't it be smart to spend it that way? And I think there's a, um, uh, I think there's a good argument for that. And I think, um, I think a lot of the community members are starting to see that and would agree with that as well. Uh, and and it's, it's, uh, it's a simple, and as building a new baseball field, a new soccer field, a new, you know, um, place for the kids that enjoy music, uh, um, you know, upgrading a library, uh, things like that. Um, so I think we need to shift our priority. Uh, you would ask me this a few years ago. I would have said, you know what? These, these criminals are committing crimes. We need to hold them. We need to put them in prison. And like I said, we still need to do that for the most serious crimes. But I think I have learned that that's not going to solve the problem. And now we need to really put our resources, like I said before, on the front end. And I made it very basic, but that's how I think about all, all of these programs. The UC Riverside School of Public Policy is excited to announce the launch in fall 2022 of its new combined BA and Master of Public Policy program. As the only such program offered exclusively within a public policy school in the entire UC system, the UCR BA MPP will allow public policy students to complete both their public policy major and graduate studies in five years. Learn more at spp.ucr.edu slash ba-mpp for more information. You can also find the link in our show notes. Thank you for that. And I think that's a really, really fascinating um, idea that um, just you know being harsh on crime isn't really going to solve the core issue. Um, I do want to ask a follow-up on this, and this is probably a very difficult question, but I think it's an interesting one. Is that mindset that being harsh on crime is the solution, do you think that that's something that is still persisting to the point where we can't do some of the things that we want to do, like you were explaining? I know you mentioned that, you know, mindsets are changing a little bit now, but yeah. are we still at a point where the goal is still to 
too direct. The goal is still, you know, and this can be on all levels of government. Um, sure. Are we still too focused on, we have to be harsh on crime and that's the only solution? You know, you mentioned that we are changing a little bit. Are we changing too slow? What, what are your thoughts on, on that kind of societal mindset for lack of a better word? You know, I think we, we are changing. And I think I changed as a DA, you know, I was a DA for 16 years in one of the largest counties in America. And uh, several years before I left office, I created a prevention and intervention unit. I expanded my attorneys that would help keep kids in school, the, the truancy unit. Um, we created that gang prevention unit. We created some other units to, to really be out in the community. And um, I know my neighbor in the Riverside County, Mike Kestrin, he has some prosecutors that go out there and do the same thing. And, and, and I know prosecutors across the country are now realizing this. Look, we need to really utilize and put our resources uh, you know, where it's really going to help us. And it hasn't been an overnight change in a mindset, believe me. And there are still people out there that believe, well, the, you know what, all, the best thing you can do is lock these people up. Wrong. I, 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 again, don't get me wrong. You commit a serious violent felony. That's part of our duty, you know, as a government to protect us as citizens, those people need to be punished and locked away. But those that are having drug problems, less serious felons, felonies, those are the individuals that we really need to change their direction. Um, and part of that is putting the resources instead of building prisons, okay? Years ago, I would have said, no, we need to build more prisons. No, instead of building more prisons, we need to really use that money to build, like I talked about earlier, uh, places, places for the kids to go, places after school for, um, and they're not kids, you know, high school students, uh, middle school students. Um, we really need to refocus on how we think. And I truly believe that is happening. I do. Uh, I, I think it's happening uh, in jurisdictions that I didn't believe it would happen before, and it is. I think that's really, really um, good to hear that um, someone with your expertise does believe that there is actual change. Um, as a final follow-up on this idea, um, this is very broad, but. Do you think that a part of the reason why um, this mindset is changing is because of the cultural changes um, in the country? Do you think that there is more awareness now about the importance of education um, and not, not just education, but also what kids do after they graduate? Um, do you think that these ideas kind of are contributing to this um, mindset being shifted um, throughout the country? I know that's a very broad question, but um, I'd like to get your uh, thoughts on that. You know, I, I think I think that's a great question. And it, it, it is something that, you know, I'm not an educator. I'm not in the schools. Um, but I also um, realize that there is a diverse population 
um, especially in our local school, school district, that is really positive. Um, and I don't know how that occurred because when I was in school, it was it wasn't as I don't think it, it was as as positive maybe than than it is now. What I mean by that, I mean you had your you had the separations of your cultures, your uh, races, your you know not everybody was always together. Um, that only happened actually when when I started playing sports. Um, and that was tremendous, you know, learning about different people's backgrounds and whatnot. So I think what you're seeing now uh, is not only in schools is that happening, but we do have a whole new world of social media. I don't need to tell you that I didn't have, we didn't have way back in the day. And um, kids are educating themselves. Uh, I have a 15-year-old uh, grandson that asked me questions about certain aspects in our history. You know, why did this happen with the uh, Native Americans, and uh, you know, why was you know land taken? And um, I think that people are curious uh, about people's backgrounds, and I think they're more open uh, to learning about one another. I know we only see the negatives on media. But I think, I think for the most part, um, I think for the most part, we as a country are a good model regarding um, really taking care of one another as people. Um, and I don't know, that sounds very basic in general, but uh, it's, it's a lot of different aspects. And, and, I, and I guess, like I said before, I think a lot of it has to do with um, not only our educators who, by the way, I think are outstanding. Um, I wasn't an educator, but I was a school board member uh, for seven years at the Redland School Board of Directors. And my goodness, uh, you talk about uh, professionals that really care about our, our children. That's the profession they get into. And I think that's, that's, that's a huge part of it as well. I think that's really, really good to hear. And also just fascinating to talk about. Um, and like you said, it's a really, it's a difficult subject and it's, it has a lot of moving parts, um, but it's great to, again, great to hear, you know, someone with your expertise, um, you know, kind of give your two cents on that. Um, and I do agree. And I do agree that, you know, there is a lot of positivity now um, and that kind of diversity and that togetherness, um, I think, is contributing to maybe um, shifting uh, people's minds on certain subjects. Um, so I'd like to shift um, as we close out to um, some of your experiences. Um, so I know you briefly did go over this, um, but maybe you can elaborate. Um, but how did your experience as the district attorney of San Bernardino County impact your, per, uh, your perspective on crime prevention um, and any other um, aspects of of the field? How did it maybe change your mind on certain um, things that, you know, the, the topic that we've been talking about? Yeah, um, you know, I was a district attorney for 16 years. And before that, for about 14 years, I was a trial lawyer in the district attorney's office. I tried 125 jury trials. And I can tell you, 99.9% .9 of the 
the the people that were committing the crimes, especially the trials that I did, um, they had a background uh, that included drugs, uh, if not drugs themselves, drugs in the family. They came from a family that was, and I'll use the term dysfunctional, uh, and that's a broad term, but uh, there may have been mental health issues in the family. There may have been a single parent in the family. Uh, and dysfunctional is the wrong word to use on this part, too, where, you know, you have a, a mother, sometimes a father that had to work, you know, eight, 10, 12 hour days and they weren't there for their kids. And um, a lot of them were recruited by gangs. Um, they committed like 60%. We know that statistics of the aggravated uh, crimes, uh, murders in our county were gang members. Um, and so that started, I started thinking about that. I started thinking, why, wait a minute, what, what are we doing wrong? Um, I could try cases all day long and can be very successful with it. Then I became the district attorney. And when I became district attorney, my mentor, his name is Grover Trass. He's been retired district attorney from Riverside County. Um, where your school's located for years now. In fact, he got me on the Robert Presley Institute. Um, when he retired, he asked me, would you like to serve on this board called Fight Crime Investing Kids? And I said, what's it about? I love the name, Fight Crime Investing Kids. And he told me it's, it's a organization that is making legislators aware, helps legislation, raises funds, to really prioritize um, uh, prevention and intervention. What is that? Preschool, after-school programs like we've discussed. And I thought about it and I said, absolutely. I thought, this is what's missing. Um, we can't go out and save all these kids and it's too late. Uh, I learned this as a probation officer. You had 20 some year olds who were committing crimes and they were on drugs. And I also learned that, that their upbringing was the same way. And I was like, we, we, we need to get started earlier. Um, and like I said, one of the programs we started in elementary school, started in the second grade, believe it or not, second and fifth grade, second grade. I thought, wait a minute, that's kind of young. No, it's not. Uh, it's not too young to teach a child what, you know, what's right and wrong and to make the right decisions and the right choices uh, as they go through the, the school system. So my mindset started changing um, and it was difficult. I remember being in front of some colleagues at one point in time uh, back in 2004 or five. And um, I was talking about these issues and um, I think they looked at me like, what are you talking about? You know, um, we have a crime rate that's going up and three strikes is working. And, and I said at the time, I, I understand that, but I also know that statistically, you know, people committing these crimes are the people that have struggled through school. They did not graduate as I gave you the numbers for those in state prison and we have to do a better job if, because my passion was victims of crime, 
if we really care about victims, what isn't it? Isn't it the point that well, let's have less victims? I mean, this is what we need to do um, to help uh, these these individuals. And and you know, I don't want to take a lot of time with this this question, but I'll share a, a, one of the trials with you. Is I did a trial, uh, a young boy that was missing in the community of Redlands. They found uh, his boy, uh, this young man's boys and uh, bones, excuse me, in the sewer system. And he was killed by another, uh, I'll call him young man, you know, 15, 16 at the time, uh, a brutal murder. And the individual who's still in prison that killed that, <clears throat> victim um, was struggling in school, was having problems, in, you know, in school, was uh, being suspended, was having problems way early on. And what, what happened? What would have happened if we would have really prevented and helped this young man at a very, very early age? Well, we'd still have one other young man alive today who lost his life at the age of 14. So that really, I kept thinking about that. Um, how do we stop not only the non-serious, but even some of the violence? Thank you for sharing that. Um, and I know I can understand how it must be very difficult. And also, um, you know, it's fascinating to hear how a position or a certain job can change your views so drastically. And that sometimes, you know, we need that experience, um, even though it can be very difficult. Um, we may need that experience to change it. Um, so we've talked about your experience in the past, but I also wanna talk about your experiences and your work right now. Um, to, so to end us here, um, what kind of work are you doing as one of the external relations directors for the Robert Presley Center of Crime and Justice, Justice Studies? And uh, are there any goals you have in mind um, for the coming years? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. You know, it's been an honor to serve as a external co-director of the Robert Presley Institute uh, for Law and Justice Studies. And um, Grover Trask, again, my mentor, asked me if I would like to serve after he was done. And yes, and I have another co-director, our other academic co-directors. and. Um, we are doing some stuff on the back end, which needs to be done, research based on um, day reporting centers and Riverside County probation departments. Are these people really getting good rehabilitation skills? Um, and they're doing a fabulous job, um, not only with um, working with the probation department, um, but uh, your school, the academics and the research part of it. Um, really doing the numbers because we need to make sure we're, we're putting our resources in work and it's a great relationship we have um, with the community and with the University of California Riverside. And then the other one we're working on, the other big project is prison to employment. Um, look, these people are getting out and we need to help them um, get jobs. Um, you know, we've been talking before about the front end, but we still have some work to do on this end. And 
so that's the next, you know, we're, we're starting in the middle of that, going to businesses, looking to see who is willing to hire some of these people. And then we found a couple of businesses that are willing. And there's already one business, I believe, in Colton, California, that does that. But my goals, really, uh, the bigger goals, is what we've been talking about. I'm hoping that at some point in time, the center will really wrap around to a some programs, some prevention and intervention. And with the carrot being, look, you get to this point, you get through school, you know, there may be opportunities for scholarships to get into the UC system. How beautiful would that be? Um, goals for kids. Um, I'm sure you have students that, that come from, you know, fellow students from lower economic status or whatever I, I did, I didn't. I was raised by a single parent and I wish I would have had that opportunity. Um, I went to junior college and went to UCR. But in saying that, I think in the future, those are things that we, we need to do. And then, you know, lastly, I'm working on a, a syllabus on a, a class for this spring. I hope that that goes through. Uh, looks like we may be doing that, but, but even if not, I have office hours, uh, students that want to get into um, uh, the criminal justice system, is, uh, whether they're attorneys or law enforcement, whatever the case may be, I'd love for them to come and, you know, I'll give them some advice, whatever advice they, they would like. Thank you so much for that. And I think it's great to end on a high note on the amazing work you done in the past, but also what you're doing now and the goals that you have. Um, it's amazing to hear um, what you're doing with, Rob, with Robert Presley. And um, I can't wait to see um, what you and the center have in store. Um, thank you, Mr. Ramos. It was an honor to have you on here today. Um, I learned a lot and I know our audience um, was also able to learn a lot about a very, very important subject. Well, thank you so much. I don't have all the answers, but uh, I was happy and as I'm, I'm glad that you wanted to talk about this subject. This podcast is a production of the UC Riverside School of Public Policy. Our theme music was produced by C. Codain. I'm Kevin Karami. Till next time.